reading Jeremiah chapter 37 to 3828, October the 21st. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your pre-sense, your presence that goes before us. We acknowledge you as surely as the rains come from the east. Thank you, Father, for our lives. Thank you for today's reading and your love and your presence. Amen. Zedekiah, son of Josiah, succeeded Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, as the king of Judah. He was appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, but neither King Zedekiah nor his attendants nor the people who were left in the land listened to what the Lord said through Jeremiah. Nevertheless, King Zedekiah sent Jehuka, son of Shelemiah, and Sephaniah, the priest, son of Maaseiah, to ask Jeremiah, Please pray to the Lord our God for us. Jeremiah had not yet been in prison, so he could come and go among the people as he pleased. At this time, the army of Pharaoh, Hophra, of Egypt appeared at the southern border of Judah. When the Babylonian army heard about it, they withdrew from their siege of Jerusalem. Then the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The king of Judah sent you to ask me what is going to happen. Tell him, Pharaoh's army is about to return to Egypt, though he came here to help you. Then the Babylonians will come back and capture the city and burn it to the ground. This is what the Lord says. Do not fool yourself into thinking that the Babylonians are gone for good. They aren't. Even if you were to destroy the entire Babylonian army, leaving only a handful of wounded survivors, they will still stagger from their tents and burn this city to the ground. When the Babylonian army left Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's approaching army, Jeremiah started to leave the city on his way to the territory of Benjamin to claim his share of his property among his relatives there. But as he was walking through the Benjamin gate, a sentry arrested him and said, You are defecting to the Babylonians. The sentry making the arrest was Arijah, son of Shelemiah, grandson of Hananiah. That is not true, Jeremiah protested. I had not no intention of doing any such thing, but Irijah wouldn't listen, and he took Jeremiah before the officials. They were furious with Jeremiah and had him flogged and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan, the secretary. Jonathan's house had been converted into a prison. Jeremiah was put into a dungeon cell where he remained for many days. Later, King Zedekiah secretly requested that Jeremiah come to the palace where the king asked him, Do you have any messages from the Lord? Yes, I do, said Jeremiah. You will be defeated by the king of Babylon. Then Jeremiah asked the king, What crime have I committed? What have I done against you, your attendants or the people that I should be in prison like this? Where are your prophets now who told you the king of Babylon would not attack you or this land? Listen, my lord, the king, I beg you, don't send me back to the dungeon in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, or I will die there. 
So King Zedekiah commanded that Jeremiah not be returned to the dungeon. Instead, he was imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard of the royal palace. The king also commanded that Jeremiah be given a loaf of fresh bread every day as long as there was any left in the city. So Jeremiah was put in the palace prison. Now Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jehuka, son of Shalemiah, and Pashur, son of Melchijah, heard that Jeremiah had been telling the people, he had been saying, This is what the Lord says, Everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease, but those who surrender to the Babylonians will live. Their reward will be life. They will live. The Lord also says, The city of Jerusalem will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. So these officials went to the king and said, Sir, this man must die. That kind of talk will undermine the morale of the few fighting men we have left, as well as that of all the people. This man is a traitor. King Zedekiah agreed. All right, he said, do as you like. I can't stop you. So the officials took Jeremiah from his cell and lowered him by ropes into an empty cistern in the prison yard. It belonged to Melchijah, a member in the royal family. There was no water in the cistern, but there was a thick layer of mud at the bottom, and Jeremiah sank down into it. But Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian and important court official, heard that Jeremiah was in the cistern. At that time, the king was holding court at the Benjamin Gate, so Ebed-Melech rushed from the palace to speak with him. My lord the king, he said, these men have done a very evil thing in putting Jeremiah the prophet into the cistern. He will soon die of hunger, for almost all the bread in the city is gone. So the king told Ebed-Melech, take thirty of my men with you and pull Jeremiah out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to a room in the palace beneath the treasury where he found some old rags and discarded clothing. He carried these to the cistern and lowered them to Jeremiah on a rope. Ebed-Melech called down to Jeremiah, put these rags under your armpits to protect you from the ropes. Then, when Jeremiah was ready, they pulled him out. So Jeremiah was returned to the courtyard of the guard, the palace prison, where he remained. One day, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the third entrance of the Lord's temple. I want to ask you something, the king said, and don't try to hide the truth. Jeremiah said, if I tell you the truth, you will kill me, and if I give you advice, you won't listen to me anyway. So King Zedekiah secretly promised him, as surely as the, live, as surely as the Lord our Creator lives, I will not kill you or hand you over to the man who wants you dead. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the Babylonian's officer, you and your family will live, and the city will not be burned down. But if you refuse to surrender, 
you will not escape. The city will be handed over to the Babylonians, and they will burn it to the ground. But I am afraid to surrender, the king said, for the Babylonians may hand me over to the Judeans who have defected to them, and who knows what they will do to me. Jeremiah replied, You won't be handed over to them if you choose to obey the Lord. Your life will be spared, and all will go well for you. But if you refuse to surrender, but if you refuse to surrender, this is what the Lord has revealed to me. All the women left in your palace will be brought out and given to the officers of the Babylonian army. Then the women will taunt you, saying, What fine friend you have. They have betrayed and misled you. When your feet sank in the mud, they left you to your fate. All your wives and children will be led out to the Babylonians, and you will not escape. You will be seized by the king of Babylonia, and this city will be burned down. Then Zedekiah said to Jerusalem, Don't tell anyone you told me this, or you will die. My officials may hear that I spoke to you, and they may say, Tell us what you and the king were talking about. If you don't tell us, we will kill you. If this happens, just tell them that you begged me not to send you back to Jonathan's dungeon for fear you will die there. Sure enough, it wasn't long before the king's officials came to Jeremiah and asked him why the king had called him. But Jeremiah followed the king's instruction and they left without finding out the truth. No one had overheard a conversation between Jeremiah and the king. And Jeremiah remained in the, as a prisoner in the courtyard of the guard until the day Jerusalem was captured. You know, it's really interesting that, um, Fernando, really interesting that it's the same thing with us. We surrender to the Lord, to His ways. We surrender to to the Holy Spirit. Remember when we were resistant? Remember when we didn't want to give ourselves over to the Lord Jesus? And, and God had to put circumstance after circumstance and guide us and guide us so we can let go of earthly things and come to a point where we would surrender and ask Jesus to come in our hearts because our lives weren't working. And he comes in and brings us into a new life and a new chapter in our life that's just incredible. We surrender to win. I was fighting the wrong battle. But thank God. In today's study, Jeremiah, Judah's leaders persecuted Jeremiah repeatedly for faithfully proclaiming God's message for 40 years of faithful ministry. He received no acclaim, no love, no popular following. He was beaten, jailed, threatened, and even forced to live, leave his homeland. Only the, the pagan Babylonians showed him any respect. See Jeremiah 39, 11, 12. In fact, Jeremiah received no reward during his lifetime for his faithful service. God does not guarantee that his servants will escape persecution, even when they are faithful. But God does promise that he will be with them and give them strength to endure. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 7. And will reward them with eternal life. As you serve God, recognize that your service is for God and not just for human approval. God rewards our faithfulness 
but not always during our lifetime. It's a reminder that our lives aren't over when we die. That's a great hope. Like Jeremiah, we should serve God faithfully as long as we live. Our hope is not just for this life, so we can endure any circumstances. You know, amen. One of the, the beautiful things about this life is that we're going to transition into a more creative, more busy, more wonderful, more satisfying life. Just like when we have a satisfying feeling when we do a good job well done or we put something in place, such a good feeling to be to to be productive, to be of service, to have to fix something. I'm just saying that when we go to heaven, it's gonna be a thousandfold. We're gonna be so active, so doing so many things. So the reward is just that. And also the reward is on the other side of the coin is resources, is development, is encouraging others. It's not enduring problems. We, we don't have any problems. We're not starving. We're not living from uh, hand out to mouth. We'll be grateful that we are standing on the, on the resources and the foundation and the people that have gone before us who have worked this land and put an economic system that can put food on the table. We are grateful for the people that sacrificed, the farmers, the laborers, the politicians, and God bless everyone that has made this country, or oh, this earth, this great, this economy, good. That's able to place food for a child to grow up strong. We're very grateful, so we need to encourage others and be strong so we can be of help to others. In Jesus' name. And that's all I got to say about that for the moment. In reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 through 21, all slaves should show full respect for their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. You know, in, to, in today's language, it should be all employees, employers should show full respect for their master. So they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. Wow, can you imagine that? Us bringing shame on the teachings of Jesus Christ. If the masters are believers, there is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those those employees, those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has no has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stir up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their back on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. Again, 
True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with the faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all. And before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering, then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For as just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Amen. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. First Timothy chapter 6 verses 121 Most people still believe that money brings happiness despite overwhelming evidence of the contrary. Rich people craving greater riches can be caught in an endless cycle that only ends in ruin and destruction. How can you avoid the love of money? Paul gives us some guidelines. Realize that one day riches will all be gone. Be content with what you have. Watch what you are willing to do to get more. Love people more than possessions. Use money for God's work. Freely share what you have with others. This is a difference between what we need and what we want. 
Like Paul, we can choose to be content without having all that we want. We should honor God and center our desire on Him. And we should be content with what God is doing in our lives. Matthew 6.33, Philippians 4.11 No matter how much you have, your life should demonstrate that God's control the resources and you are managing them for Him. What good works are you aware of which you could support more generously? Are there other people you know who would benefit from your blessing them? Well, I know one thing that I could see other people that have gone before us who have money and who have done great and wonderful things for humanity. For instance, the Rockefellers started the March of Dimes. The Rockefellers started uh, a campaign of using their own resources and welfare to help others. Like, like for instance, they... Uh, in, in in the South, they had a problem with ringworms, and they they tackled that as a family. That when their their money, their resources, their ten percent, their twenty percent, or whatever they pulled in from the oil venture, and millions and millions and hundreds and thousands of families have done that. In the community, when you get a lot of rich people together, they produce jobs. They open up shopping centers and they produce jobs for the up-and-coming young people that need to provide bread for their families. Just think about it. Think a little bit further than, than be in the crowd of mockery and, and suspicion and jealousy. What are we doing with the money we currently have? Whatever we're doing now, it's, it's going to be the same when we're rich. Whatever we're doing now is going to be some, the same thing if we're poor. Whatever resources we have now, how we're using them, it's going to be the same way when we're rich. It's just amazing when we have more, we spend more, and we buy more gadgets, and they require more time, and they take time away from us, and join the literature of God. You know, spending two, three hours a day in the Word of God should be the normal because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And plus, it's an enjoyment. It's an exercise in literature, in muscle, in brains, in spiritual things, in wonder. It's a joy. It's a blast. To get yourself away and enjoy the Word of God and have fellowship with His presence. There's no greater high, guys. There's no greater high than to be in commune with the Most High that gives us His presence, His friendship through the Holy Spirit. Preach it, Fernando. Preach it. Amen. Another encouraging word about Timothy you know, they covered a lot of area. But let me read this from the, the authors of the New Living Testament Recovery Bible. It says, Paul warned about those who spread false teachings among the believers. The apostle wanted to protect the message of free salvation offered by Jesus Christ from the distorting lies of money-hungry charlatans. Paul's advice is valuable for us in recovery. 
in salvation, recovery in salvation through any power other than God's through Jesus Christ is false. Only God can deliver us from our sins and weaknesses. Anyone claiming to have another solution to our problem likely has something to gain from the program being offered. Only God's solution through Jesus Christ can heal our deepest wounds and the power he offers is free of charge. Amen. The power he freely have you received, freely given. And just like Benjamin Franklin was groomed to be a pastor and he declined, but he would use the principles of the Bible to run his business. He will say all good ideas belong to the people and they shouldn't be sold to them. All good ideas should not have patents, but they should be freely for the love and the public of people. Now you're telling me that's not a, a, a principle? That the man was money hungry? If you haven't seen the comedy movie 1776 of the signing of the Declaration, pray before you see it and ask Holy Spirit to give you joy when you see it. And in joy, it's a musical. It was a very popular uh, play in New York for a long time, and they made it into a movie. So pray about it and enjoy the 1776 um, signing of the Declaration. A lot of God in it. Amen. Now, again, Paul warned Timothy about the pitfalls of trusting in money. Some of us may have already experienced the emptiness of such misplaced trust. We may have, through the wealth, we may have thought that wealth could buy solutions to all our problems. We now know, however, that money cannot deliver us from the power of our dependencies. Whether we are rich or poor, the pool of our addictions can be overcome only when we admit our helplessness and turn to God for help. The only way to a successful life in God's eyes is to pursue godliness by taking steps of faith. In God, we can experience His help in the recovery process and renew life. There's a couple of things that come to mind. Is that I remember when I was a successful real estate salesman that it was taking a big toll of my time doing real estate. I didn't have any any time to read the Word to do what I'm doing now. I gave up real estate so I can work with others and do the things I like to do. This, read literature, and exercise, and, and talk with others. I was thinking about a, a, an article of, very, of a man that, that served. I'm a good promote, promoter and an advocate for blue collar workers, for people that work with their hands, that move their muscles, and use their brains to dig and to solve problems. People who serve others, waiters, nurses, police, who serve the public, my hands are off to them. Journalists, people, you know, journalists that, that, that see the good and write the good, my hats are off to them. Journalists are always looking 
you know, that was uh, the, this gentleman that I was telling you about, he would clean toilets. And his old girlfriend came in in the hospital and saw him cleaning the toilets and so forth, you know, and uh, their relationship was almost a true one, but it didn't work. She had a, the girlfriend had a new husband, but he was doing what he liked in the daytime. You know, it gave him great satisfaction to pursue his writing, to pursue his bicycle, to have a good night's sleep and conscience. And many times they tried to promote him and give him great, you know, uh, in the hospital. But no, this is what he liked to do, be of service and have the time to do his literature. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. All right. Now, let's go ahead and move on ahead. Just another point I wanted to make that uh, being a Christian is fun. Living by faith, the resources and the development is a blast. Knowing that God is there for us and having patience when it doesn't seem to work out. When it's not working out, say this little saying over and over again. These things, say these things, say, all power belongs to my Lord, Jesus. All power belongs to my Master, Jesus. All power belongs unto my friend, Jesus Christ. Though the supply is not here yet, yet will I praise him for it. For if we should have it, it will surely come. Amen. Something in that nature. Because Jesus said, it is finished. So we we declare it is finished at the same time. That's a it is finished declaration. We're just adjusting our words and opening the door to receive. All power belongs unto my Lord Jesus Christ. All power belongs unto my friend. All power belongs unto my master. Yea, though the supply is not here yet, it will surely come if we should have it. It will surely come. Amen. All right, reading the Psalms. Think about where God seemed to have broken his promises. Then tell him about it and ask him to reveal his faithfulness. Praying the Psalm. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And we thank you for where we missed it. Lord, even in your promises, it says there's millions and millions of promises going over our heads, coming our way. And as we say the proper words, we receive your promises. It will land in our favor. It will happen to us in, in the proper time so we can glorify you. Amen. We ask you, Lord, to reveal, continually reveal your faithfulness through us acknowledging that all power belongs to my Lord, all power belongs to my friend, all power belongs to my Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yes, yet, though it is not here yet, but it will come, if we should have it, it will surely come. Amen. This opens our imagination, our spirits, and our minds to look forward into the future. It causes us to have faith and hope, the right mindset to be recipients. It causes us to move and make room in our imaginations and in our spirits 
that God is able to drop a blessing in us. It keeps us in wonderment of the Lord and in constant expectancy that Jesus said, It is finished. It is done. It, it is well with us. Amen. Reading Psalm 89, 38-52. But now you, the Lord, have rejected him, David, and cast him off. You are angry with your anointed king. You have renounced your covenant with him. You have thrown his crown into dust. You have broken down the walls protecting him and ruined every fort defending him. Everyone who comes along has robbed him, and he has become a joke to his neighbors. You have strengthened his enemies and made them all rejoice. You have made his sword useless and refused to help him in battle. I think David was in, uh, had a bad day, huh? He was, uh, you know, this was not written by David. It's more like a poem by, uh, like, the sons of Korah or something. And the beautiful thing about David, he would throw his heart unto God and God was able to respond to him properly. It says, you have made his swords useless and refused to help him in battle. You have ended his splendor and overturned his throne. You have made him old before his time and publicly disgraced him. O oh Lord, how long will this go on? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your anger burn like fire? Remember how short my life is, how empty and futile this human existence. No one can live forever. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. Lord, where is your unfailing love? You promised it to David with a faithful pledge. Consider, Lord, how your servants are disgraced. I carry in my heart the insults of so many people. Your enemies have mocked me, O oh Lord. <laughs> They mock your anointing king wherever he goes. And then it says, praise the Lord forever and ever. <laughs> amen. Excuse me. And amen. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. A person without self-control is like a city broken down wall. And the Holy Spirit says to have uh, self-control is to speak by faith properly. And don't give life to the to what's wrong. Don't give life to what's wrong. Give life to what is right. Jesus said it is finished. Give life to the cross. Give your words life to the cross. Choose to be good. Let us choose to move into the heavenlies, the heavens of heavens. And just what God has said, surely it will come to pass. It will come to pass if we should have it come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is mightily surprising us in our areas of our life. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift up his counts and give you peace and establish you in every which way. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.